So uh, again, my name is Kier, and glad to be here with you this morning. We're going to be continuing our biblical review series we've been going through. For those of you who are new or online, haven't listened to us before, we've been going through the whole Bible, looking at every book. So it's kind of a high view of everything, but some really good stuff. I know we're kind of coming to the end of the Old Testament, the end of the Minor Prophets, and it's one of the goals of this was to build biblical literacy, which I feel like I've really learned a lot. And also, another part is to put it into to, to action. So we'll talk some more about that here as we go along. So I'm hoping you've uh, been able to do that as well. And again, we're looking at Zephaniah today. And Zephaniah is only three chapters long, but it is an important book. And we're going to be looking at how it's connected. Uh, we've talked before about how there's maybe one event or one series of events and several different books will talk about them from different perspectives written at different times with a different emphasis for, for those things. So today we're going to be looking at, of course, Zephaniah, but we're going to be touching into Chronicles and Kings, seeing how those fit together. So if we would, let's just pray for a second. Dear God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this chance to be together and worship you. Thank you for, the, for giving us musicians and who are talented to lead us in worshiping you. There's so many ways we can worship you through music and through other ways, but we're just thankful for the, the instruments and the teams that you brought to us this morning to help us focus on you and help us to have our hearts open to whatever it is you would like us to be receiving and doing something with this week as I speak here this morning. And uh, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. All right. Thank you, everybody. So you may have noticed that there's this ongoing theme in the Bible. And to some people, it might seem like there's a contradiction, but it's that God is holy. And because he is holy, he must call all nations and people to account for their sins. And he's also merciful. And he will bless all who call upon him. And so I feel like that's a, not only is it an ongoing theme in the Bible, but it's, it's a theme in the book that we're looking at this morning in Zephaniah. So first off, as we look at Zephaniah, the book starts right off the bat with giving us an idea of who Zephaniah as a man was. It gives us his lineage. He was a descendant of Hezekiah. And his name means something too. His name actually means Yahweh hides or Yahweh has hidden. And so it's a little touch into his life story. It may be that he was named that because he was hidden and protected from Manasseh, King Manasseh, his, the atrocities of Manasseh. So let's just kind of review who Manasseh was. So Manasseh was the son of Hezekiah, and Ammon, who we'll talk about in a little bit here, was the son of Manasseh. So we've got a son and a grandson who are going to give over 50 years of really negative influence to Judah. Now, does anybody remember something about Hezekiah that just stands out? Is there anything, we've kind of covered him before, but well, you might remember that Hezekiah was the last he was the first king of Judah when Israel, the, the northern kingdom, was destroyed. So 
he was king while the Assyrians came in and, and conquered and totally took away the northern kingdom. And then they came to Jerusalem to basically say, we're going to do the same thing to you. And Hezekiah was a, was a king who was trying to follow God, and he actually consulted with Isaiah. I mean, that's a big Bible name, right? <laughs> so he consulted with that prophet to say, what am I going to do? What should we do? And so they sought God. They trusted that God was going to somehow get them out of this situation while the Assyrians were on the wall talking about all the horrible things they were going to do. But they end up being called away. God intervenes and saves them because Hezekiah had been trusting God, not only in that event, but had also been trying to bring the people's focus back on worshiping the true God in the way he had asked to be worshiped. But now we have Manasseh, his son, who he is basically rejected all his father's reforms. He's not only rejected them, he's allowed these influences to come back in of Baal and Asherah worship. This, there was an, another thing that I don't know was very popular before this, but it was this astral cult, which was basically the, this idea that kind of came in of, of into Judah of worshiping the moons and the stars. So it was that whole worshiping the creation rather than the creator. And anyway, he not only encouraged those things to come in, but he also took, took them per personally, tried them all out, verses about him. He's, he's quite a guy. So I'll just hit the little highlights. That's what all the dot, dot, dots are built on there. So he, he built pagan shrines. He constructed altars for Baal and Asherah. He bowed before the forces of heaven and worshipped them. He even built altars in the temple of the Lord. He even sacrificed his own son in the fire. He practiced sorcery and divination. And unfortunately, and we see, you know, we see this lots of times, we've seen it from the time of even Moses to to date the kings David and Solomon where God says, hey, listen, do these things, don't do these things. If you do these things, it's not going to go well for you. Things, you know, you're going to be, I'm going to judge, things are going to go bad. But Second Kings recorded that the people refused to listen and Manasseh led them to do even more evil than the pagan nations whom the Lord had destroyed when the Israelites entered the land. So he was even worse, which is hard to imagine, even worse than what, those people had done. Manasseh also murdered many innocent people until Jerusalem was filled from one end to the other with innocent blood. So that might be a reason why Zephaniah needed to be hidden. It was obviously not a good time to be growing up there. I meant Ammon, who was Manasseh's son, he was just really more of the same. Although he only reigned for two years, he was he was awful as well. Now, some of you might know that, or be thinking in Second Chronicles 33, it describes how Manasseh, it gives the same account of, of all this really bad stuff, but then it, it gives an account of, at the end of his life, life of Manasseh repenting. And I'm not really going to get into any of that today because what I want us to understand is the importance of the history of this culture into which Zephaniah was born and the culture into which he was speaking. 
So again, as the book as the book begins, and as I've kind of said, is written, the prophecy is made during the reign of King Josiah. It was before the destruction of Nineveh, and most likely this prophecy occurred probably on the earlier side of Josiah's reign. Zephaniah was a contemporary of Jeremiah and Habakkuk. Hope I'm saying it right. I heard you got a lesson on that last week, <laughs> and the. And I just think it's important that we remember that the prophet's purpose, the prophet's, prophet's purpose was not to make reforms happen, but their purpose was to speak the truth, encourage repentance, and glorify God. And I just want to touch, I think that God has given us a role like that too. Uh, we don't have to make things happen, but I think that God wants us to speak, and he wants us to encourage, and he wants us to glorify, just like the prophets did. So let's look again at what Josiah did. So there was an immediate effect of this prophecy. So the sins listed out in Zephaniah, they predate Josiah's reform. So it's likely that his prophecy had some role in preparing for these reforms that Josiah did. And I'm going to go over some of those reforms now. Josiah actually destroyed all all the pagan shrines, the Asherah poles, the carved idols and cast images, and altars for the images of Baal and their incense altars. They were all torn down. Now Zephaniah prophesies and, and says in the, book that we, in the book that we're reading, he says that, that God would crush Judah and Jerusalem and destroy every last trace of Baal worship. So I think Josiah was probably inspired by that, by, by that prophecy. Josiah also burned the bones of pagan priests on their own altars and purified Judah and Jerusalem. Zephaniah had said that God would put an end to all the idolatrous priests and even the memory of them would disappear. And so clearly it seems there was an impact on Josiah's heart to bring honor and to obey God. But Josiah had a vision beyond the temple or reform of just Jerusalem when it came to this idol worship. It's recorded in Second Chronicles 2 that Josiah did the same thing in the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, even as far as Naphtali. He destroyed pagan altars throughout the land. He didn't want this to just be a localized change. And then later on, once they find the scroll as a kind of re- furbishing the temple and getting it back in the condition it should have been in. They find this scroll, and then it's realized that they were doing even more things wrong that they didn't realize. They were, they were disobeying God in other ways. And so Josiah sought to bring them into a right relationship with God. He summoned all the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, and it says, again in Second Chronicles, it says, And the king went up to the temple of the Lord with all the people of Judah and Jerusalem, and the priests and the Levites, all the people from the greatest to the least. The king read to them the entire book of the covenant that had been found in the temple. And the king himself, he pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all his commands, regulations, and laws with all his heart and soul. And he required it everyone, he requi- and the king required everyone to make a similar pledge. So Josiah, he, he had a, his, God had his heart. He wanted to have a heart like God. And he wanted to remove 
these barriers or distractions from, from his people pleasing God. Now, I'm not sure how effective it is to require people to make a pledge that they're going to do this. But, I mean, the idea is there that he's wanting to lead them, follow the Lord's ways and not these other pagan ways. But sadly, ultimately, as a society, despite his efforts, the corruption was not, not routed out. Soon after Josiah's time, Judah returns to the idolatry that was already embedded by Manasseh and previous leaders. So, since we're saying that God is holy and he must call and he calls all nations and people to account for, for where they fall short. What kind of actions was Zephaniah calling out? Well, I've already gone over quite a few of those. And I'd just like us to think, I mean, we may not be worshiping Baal or, or bowing down Asherah poles, but it makes me think, do we have things in our life or things in our church or in our culture that God might want us to look at? Jeff and I specified some things. Again, many of these things we've already gone over. There was wickedness, idolatry, worship, worship of the heavens, murder, violence, deceit, indifference. I thought this indifference one was interesting. The wrath that God implements to bring nations to account is not only for these active, kind of what seem like obvious sins, but also for indifference to God. God says in Zephaniah, I will search with lanterns in Jerusalem's darkest corners to find and punish those who sit contented in their sins, indifferent to the Lord, thinking that he will do nothing at all to them. So I don't know that it necessarily means that the sins were not that bad, but that there are people just hiding them in the corners and they just don't think that God will do anything about it. God says that's that's not so and the this day of the lord the day of the lord's for the surrounding nations and for judah this day of being brought to account that's one aspect of it it's described it's terrible it's swiftly coming it makes strong men cry bitterly it's a day of distress and anguish and ruin and desolation darkness and gloom and so, of course, people want to escape that, right? But, but, but Zephaniah warns that your silver and gold will be of no use for you on that day of the Lord's anger. And maybe just think, what else would be of no use? Besides wealth, what, what, do, what do we, what do ones rely on? Well, sometimes to escape being accountable for things, we might, might try to rely on our heritage or our position of authority, maybe our education or our citizenship. How about our good works? Do we try to like, well, we'll just, we'll just count on that. Or our good intentions? None of those are going are gonna to work. In chapter 2, Zephaniah calls the Jewish people to whom he is speaking at that time to repentance. He implores them to appeal to another quality of God, his mercy. Remember, God is merciful and he will bless all those who call upon him. Zephaniah encourages them there in chapter 2 to pray, to beg, and humbly do what is right. 
He says, gather together and pray. Act now. Beg the Lord to save you, all you who are humble, all you who uphold justice. Walk humbly and do what is right. Perhaps even yet the Lord will protect you from his anger on that day of destruction. Now there have been many, many messages and series written and taught on about the day of the Lord. And I'm not even going to touch the scratch, the scratch the surface of that today. But I do want to point out that in Zephaniah, we have kind of two aspects of that day that he talks about in this short book. One is the judgment that we've been talking about. He specifies, he breaks it kind of down into the sins of men and the sins of Judah and the sins of the nations but he also talks about salvation, and which again is kind of the flip side, if you would. It's it's a, a conversation, it's a explanation about con- conversion and restoration that God is going to do. You know, there are so many ways that the prophets and these first followers of God. I mean, they really had to trust God in in a different way and. To me, sometimes seems it seems more challenging because we have history that we can look back on and be like, oh, okay, so we, here's the prophecy, here's what happened. You know, Jesus came and fulfilled these things or even even just, you know, somebody like, how are we going to get out of Egypt? And this is ever going to happen. And then, you know, they do. We can look back and be like, oh, of course, that God was going to come through. But we had that advantage of looking back. And Zephaniah prophesied something looking ahead, which I wonder, like, what could he have thought that would look like? Did he even have any idea? And, and that's in this Zephaniah 3.17. It's not just this, but this is kind of the encapsulation of it. He says, for the Lord your God has arrived to live among you. He's a mighty savior. He will rejoice over you with great gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will exalt over you, singing a happy song. And there's an old song, but I couldn't find it, so we could sing it today. A slightly different version, but it's, it's a GC, a Great Commission song that says, with shouts of joy, and then the chorus is just kind of shouts of joy, 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 joy. And I feel like I really, that song's kind of encapsulated in my mind. That it's going to be, it's, and, and he tries to convey this in the very end of the book of Zephaniah, just all the joy that's going to come. There's going to be all this judgment and hard things, but for those that are saved, there's going to be this great joy. So I, I'm just really thankful for that, that we have the advantage of knowing that not only did Jesus come to be our Savior, we know that, we understand that because it's in the past, but we also have the advantage of knowing that he's going to come again. Whereas they didn't have knowledge of either one of those things at that time. So what are we going to do with this advantage that we have? What are we going to do with this knowledge that, um, you know, there's a day of judgment coming. There's a a day when God is going to come and save his people and he's going to be with his people. I have a few suggestions and, you know, maybe one of these would be something that you would consider or maybe something totally different for you personally. 
the first one is I want to, Im- these are things I w- I'm setting as goals. I want to try to do better. Uh, I want to embrace the God of judgment and salvation. And what I mean by that is I want to, you know, people see that as a, some people see that as a contradiction, like judgment and salvation. Some people just don't think it's fair to be, you know, that, that God, if he exists, should judge anything. But I want to, I want to judge, I want to, I want to make it a point of saying this is what I believe. I know it seems like there's something that doesn't might not fit with you, and that'd be an opportunity to talk, talk it through with somebody, and maybe help them see, but with God's help, that that God is both a God of judgment and salvation. Another thing I thought about was, with the power available to me, I want to remove barriers and distractions that will keep ones from a relationship with the Lord. I, I know that, like, I just love having a relationship with the Lord. I just love, even when I mess up, being able to go to him and talk to him and know that I'm forgiven and talk through and process things. And I want to not be a person who's, I, I don't want to be putting obstacles and to keep other people from experiencing that. And so I'm going to try to be removing barriers that I might be putting up, maybe just by not talking to somebody or just, turn, you know, just saying, I I don't have time for this, or I, I don't care about this person enough that I'm going to talk to him and try to, when, I've given, when I'm given an opportunity, I'm going to try to remove these barriers. Two other things I thought that we could think about were, I want to celebrate that God will gather people of all nations to himself. There's no people group that God excludes from, from his love. And when I hear something to the contrary, with God's help, I want to be, I want to remember Zephaniah in this book where he talks about how God is going to gather all the nations. I mean, he talks about punishing all the nations too, don't get me wrong, but he's going to gather them all. And, you know, there's other stories, other scripture that does the same thing. And so whenever I hear something to the contrary, I want to jump into that conversation. And the last thing for now for me that, that I thought of is I want to walk humbly and do what is right. That was one of the things that Zephaniah encouraged the, the people to do in chapter 2. I mean, many of the people that I interact with, in, whether at work or just in neighborhood or in my family sometimes, you know, many of those times, I just want to, when I say be humble, I want to project, I want to show, hey, I'm really struggling with making a decision about how to handle this situation. And I want to be genuine about that, and I want to be humble in saying, I don't know the answer, but I'm seeking God to help me with this. And I think that if, we're, if we can make being humble like that a part of uh, our outward conversation, a lot of people are, what do you call them, external processors. If we can do that where that is kind of invited or where that is appreciated, I think that would be good to just put that out there so people can see us processing and and pick up on things about God that they may not know or may not have thought of in that way. So, again, I I encourage you to think about what what can you do with this information about God is a God of judgment and a God of justice, but also a God of salvation. I really encourage you to, to think about what you can do with that this week. Okay? Let's just close off in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this morning. I really appreciate 
everybody who's here today, I know that you have things in store for their life this week, um, things that, that they're not expecting and things they are expecting, and you want to work through all of those. Lord, I, I just, we, we all just want to tell you how much we appreciate your love and um, you're consistently teaching us through different means, different books, different people, what you're like. Help us to help others to see what you're like as well. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.